have a discussion for a few minutes. Uh, I was realizing as I was going over through this Jeremiah reading this week, um, there's a lot of years in my life when uh, reading a passage like this, I would say, ugh, I don't like that. Because it seems so uh, personally confrontative and judgmental in a way. I mean, cursed are those. Am I cursed? Is it me? (laughs) Or am I supposed to be cursing somebody else? Uh, Who's cursed? Maybe you're cursed. I don't know. Um, And uh, and a lot of us come to a church like this because um, we've been in places, churches sometimes, that have used very strong language about kind of who's in and who's out, who's saved and who's not, who's cursed and who's not, and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, but as I got a little bit deeper in thinking about this, and dealing with my own past reactions to reading certain passages in Scripture, um, you know, I was reminded that in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, uh, Almost all the stories are portrayed with this very, very engaged personal God. There's talking back and forth between people and God. God gets angry. People get angry and obstinate. You know, and you know, it's kind of like real relationships in the real world. You know, I mean, it, it kind of goes back and forth. There's, there's times of celebration and embrace and hugging and praise and thanks and all of that. Um, but it's really uh, down to earth. Um, as I thought about that, I thought, well, of course, a passage like this would be portrayed that way because that's the way these Hebrew scriptures are written. That's the way this Old Testament is written. And, and there's something really good about that because it's um, it, it's a reminder that when we come to God to listen to God, we're not leaving the kind of grittiness of our earthly situation, it's, it's right here with us. And, um, and we, we listen to God in our lives in the midst of grappling with all of our life, who we are, and our relationships, and our ups and the downs, and the times when we feel cursed, and the times when we feel blessed, and all of that sort of thing. So then I slow down a little bit. It is important to recognize um, that Jeremiah is trying to get the people here ready as a prophet for the fact that the Babylonians are coming. So, more oppression for these Jewish people is coming their way. And that's a context of what's going on here. Um, The other dynamic going on in this passage has to do with... um, what helps make us successful. So thus says the Lord, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength. Okay? So, you can put that in another language if you want, but basically, it isn't going to work out very well for any of us if when we try to figure things out in this life, we do it by just trusting in the ways of people who, you know, I'm flawed, you're flawed, we can't 
get there alone. We're going to end up in failure. We need to recognize that there is a different place to get our strength. There's a different focus that uh, will help us all get there together. And so this is just a reality statement. Curse, basically, it's going to be a failure for you if you trust in just what is here, what you see among the human situation, um, what, you, what you have within kind of the biology, you might say, of your body and the flesh. Um, this is not going to be enough to give you the strength that you're going to need. And Jeremiah wants us to help us understand where we can get our strength. Um, and ends that verse by saying, and curse to those whose hearts turn away from the Lord. Well, the Old Testament pictures this very, very, very personal God. But whether you picture that kind of God or not, or whether, as I know some people do, um, the picture of God you might have is of uh, the reality of unconditional love, infinite love that creates infinite possibilities in our life. And you're not exactly sure how that's personalized, but that you know the power of that is there. Jeremiah wants us to reach for that. And to get ourselves trained to find that kind of strength. So, um, two things I was thinking about this week. I almost brought a golf club in here. It's been a few years since I brought a golf club in, but number of you know that I've used as an image sometimes of my trying to finally learn how to play golf correctly after decades of doing it wrong and making sure my son learned how to do it right and he turned out to be a really good golfer. And it, for me it's kind of an analogy of what is being talked about here, about just relying on kind of the just what's, what's in me as a mere mortal understanding of what it's going to take for me to hit that golf ball and have it land in a good place, not in the snow, um, but land it somewhere down there in a good place. And it has taken this golf teacher of mine years, with me being willing to do it, to get the simplest thing into me. So, let me demonstrate for you a little bit. So, any of you play golf? Or maybe, maybe you play baseball. It, there's a similar sort of thing in trying to hit a baseball here. It's a little bit different, but, but kind of similar. So it always seemed natural to me, and so I did it for a long, long, long time, that if, I want, if the ball's here and I want to get the strength behind it to hit it forward, that I first have to come back, and I have to bring the club way behind me, and then I have to come forward and bring the club way behind me, and all of that back and forth strength. But it doesn't work that way. That's where you hit your worst shots. It's not a back and forth motion. To do it right, I've had to learn that it has nothing to do with bringing my arms back here and all my weight back here. It has to do with turning my hips. And everything else takes care of itself. All I have to do is turn... See what happens to my arm when I turn? I don't even go back. And then turn. That's all I have to do. You'd think it would be easy, right? 
Well, there's a thing many of you know about called muscle memory. That if you learn something the wrong way for a long enough time, you can understand in your head the right way to do it, but you've got to practice it over and over and over again the right way because you know what happens? The second you don't, or the second you get tired, or the second you get stressed, your muscle memory goes back to all the old ways. Anybody experienced that? Yeah. Um, after our great conversation on science and technology last week, uh, Doris sent me a nice video, like 15-minute video of this guy doing like a TEDx talk on about the brain. And it was the same thing with the learning with the brain, which is that we have things that happen in our lives that just trigger all the normal, sometimes negative ways that we react in our brain. And then in a sense we have, we have no control. And Doris, you can add to this after I say because I'm oversimplifying. I just know it. But, because I only watched it once. But he was visually showing what happens in kind of the firing off of the brain that if you basically say, no, I don't want to respond that way again, and you constantly respond a different way, it kind of unplugs what the brain's message is being sent and plugs in the new one, but you have to do it over and over again or it goes back to the old one, right? It goes back to the old way. Is, that's an oversimplification, right? But is that okay? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, so what Jeremiah is trying to get the people to do, and what we need to do is, it's not just a question of wanting to believe in God, or wanting to have faith, or wanting to accept the unconditional love of God. We have put many things within the programming of our bodies, our brains, our spirits, that even when we want to do it a different way, when we want, we learn in our head, there's a better way. We continually fall back until we get in our toolkit some skills to practice over and over and over again. We sometimes think faith isn't like learning how to play golf. It isn't a skill. I just have to believe. No. You have to practice certain things. So part of what we have to practice is how to understand, as, as Jeremiah talks about, how to understand not, how not to be a, a shrub in the desert who doesn't even see when rescue is coming by with the water that normally isn't there uh, because so busy being suffering in your shrub state. But learn how to become the tree that's planted by the water. And it's constantly, habitually, receiving the nourishment that's needed. So we need to figure out how to do that. And there's a lot of skill sets for doing that. One of the things I did the first few years here, and a few people like Lucille I know took great advantage of it, and it was great for as long as it lasted, is we had this uh, noontime on Wednesday um, kind of prayer time. Um, but it was... Uh, it wasn't really focused on saying prayers. It was focused on the skill set of learning how to quiet ourselves. To sit quiet, 
That's hard for me. To, um, to quiet our brains, all the thoughts that are flowing through our brains. Because one of the skill sets of recognizing God's presence and the rescue, you might say, that we need is if we don't still ourselves, we're so busy with what we're generating that we can't even know what's right there as a resource for us to help us, to save us, to encourage us, right? You know? And, you know, it's like the person you tell your problem to. I've heard this happens in some marriages. Well, sure not in mine. You know, you tell the other one a problem and instead of just saying, well, tell me more, I want to really understand and hear, well, here's the three things you need to do to solve it, right? No, you know, I wanted you to listen to me, right? You know, there's a skill set to doing that and there's a skill set to putting ourselves in a presence where we perceive in our environment more than the mere flesh that Jeremiah talks about. We perceive the powerful resources of the God of this love creation that is everywhere. And we can then be regularly and constantly fed and encouraged by that. All right? So this requires some things. You know, it's like, it's great that I'm doing my, my golf teacher stuff, but um, I stopped taking lessons from him for a couple of years, and my bad habits got really bad again, even though I knew half of what I was supposed to be doing. I wasn't practicing it. I didn't have anybody holding me accountable. I, I better, you know, have to be before my golf teacher, so I better do the things he asked me to do. You know, the most boring part of the golf lesson is, don't hit a ball right now, I just want you to do this thing 15 times in this exact way or something like that, you know. And it's like, but that's so boring. <laughs> Developing skill sets, whether it's in our spiritual life or athletic life or whatever, they're always boring, so we have to make a decision, you know, to go through the process of unlearning some things and learning some new things and getting it so practiced that just like when I accomplished this with my golf, I'll have a new muscle memory that is almost automatic. Um, well, we want to have that same thing within how we experience what it means to be spiritual people in this life. You know? But it requires the skill set focus. You know? I don't know what it is you spend the most time doing during the week. You know? um, but the things we spend the most time on are the things that one way or another are impacting us the most, right? So if we want some of these things that Jeremiah is talking about in this experience with God, if we want our lives to be different that way, we've got to make some decisions, you know? I needed a golf teacher. Who is, where's our spiritual mentoring coming from, right? Um, I need to be held accountable. Part of what we can do in the church, if we're willing to, um, is we can hold each other accountable. Not in a mean way of, you're cursed. You didn't do it. You said you were going to do it, and you didn't do it. But no. Didn't you tell me that you were working on this? I haven't noticed for a while you're doing that. Is there some way I can help you? you know? um, so, so often I think with faith, we think, well, if I just had enough faith, well, um, having enough faith is related to 
decisions we make to put ourselves in the environment. Some people will say, just keep reading the Bible over and over again. But you know, that's like telling me to keep swinging without the golf teacher, right? If I keep swinging the wrong way without the golf teacher, what's it going to do? Right? So we need new ways to even read the Bible stories because what happens as soon as we read it, like me reading that Jeremiah one, is I immediately misinterpret it because I have these buttons that get pushed. I hate those cursed readings. Ah, it's all that negative stuff. You know? And it triggers that and I go nowhere else. You know? So for me in preparing, sometimes I, I read different commentaries that people have written on some of these scripture readings or I might read a whole book that helps me get a different perspective. Or I might talk it out with all of you. Um, and through that, then I go back and read the Bible and I see it differently, like I did this week. You know, A new insight is there for me um, because I tried to work on it. I didn't just kind of read it and say, now I'm supposed to do it. It's not that simple. We need to develop the skill set for reading the Bible. We need to develop the skill set for praying. We need to develop the skill set for learning what it means to be interdependent with one another in a community like this. You know? And we can't expect the world to change or lives to change if we don't put in the time and the focus and make the decisions for that to happen. So if we're willing to develop the spiritual skills, we will be strengthened through that. And we'll have a new muscle memory of the spirit that will not only help us, but empower us to be there for others who also need it. Right? So, we're in a circle. So tell me, what makes sense or doesn't make sense from what I'm saying? I'll sit down for that part. Sorry, I got all excited. I had to stand <laughs> teacher's perspective, it makes sense. I see students getting bad habits all the time because that's what they've learned either at home or previous years, and then trying to teach them the, the proper way to do things, like holding something as simple as holding your pencil. You know, there are kids who hold a pencil and kind of write like that. It works for them, but it's going to make it harder for them in the long run if they don't correct it now, but it's hard and it takes a lot of work and like it's that muscle memory, it's hard to change. And they have to unlearn. And they have and to unlearn, relearn. And you don't know what other forces are coming at them saying, nope, do it this way, nope, do it that way. Like it's hard. Well, one of the things you need to know as a teacher that's really helpful is that you can't um, address everything with a student at the same time. So one of the things my golf teacher does well is he we're working on one thing, and he'll praise me, he'll say, you did really well. But I walk out there knowing the swing isn't perfect yet. But he's not focusing on it, he's just focusing on a piece of it. It's like a building block. And I would be devastated if he focused on all of it all at once. I would be overwhelmed, right? So teacher needs to know what to focus on in a certain moment, right? video that you referred to that I sent you. <clears throat> it's Dr. Joe Dispenza. He's doing a lot of research and a lot of um, 
eight and nine thousand people coming to his workshops to learn different exercises, different meditations, different kinds of things that do change the brain, that do rewire the brain. It can actually change. It can actually change the DNA, and this has been happening at his workshops. And he's got neuroscientists from the Math Heart Institute doing brain scans and heart. Um, monitors and seeing the physiological changes and he's very good at explaining biologically what happens in your brain when you allow yourself to think certain things, certain um, traumas from the past and you choose to live in the past and instead of the present moment, which all of us do <laughs> at times, that he teaches you know, in a way that I can really understand because it explains to me what it does to your brain and what it does to what the hormones and, and the, you know, Everything that's happening in the brain, you come to a, an amazing, realize the brain is an amazing, an actually amazing thing, and it can change. We can change it. Yeah. Which is being proved with this. He's trying to marry science and uh, spirituality together. Yeah. And just to speak on that uh, merging of the two together, because there's been a lot of separating of it out in our religious history and Christian history as if they're opposed to each other and we talked a little bit about this last week but you know when you think about it from a follower of Jesus perspective one of the reasons why I think that the story we hear about Jesus being fully human and fully divine is to say there is not these are not separate worlds the God of this love creation has created a world where the spirit um, and, and the touchable things of this world are all part of one that are meant to work together. Now can we learn how to have work together? And the brain stuff is part of helping us see that there is that direct connection. It's not an otherworldly thing. So thank you for giving a little more detail. Just not as strong. 
Um, one more thing. Yeah. I would really like to watch this video, so if one of you could attach it I will say, I'll, I'll send you the, the link out to it when I send my email. That would be awesome. Sermon. Thanks. Okay.